Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon continues speaking on the importance of vision. As important as it is for us to have a vision for this church family, we must also have a vision for our personal families. At the end of the day, what do you want your family to be known for? Again, we're glad you're here this morning. And uh, when we first started out, one thing we did, we did pretty much every Sunday... Um, is we gave people an opportunity to share a testimony if they had something that God was doing in their lives. And uh, so we want to do that today. I um, had somebody tell me a pretty cool testimony that they had this week. And I just want to give you an opportunity. Um, if you're here, this is something that anybody can do. Um, and, and so I want to throw that out there. God, if there's something God's done in your life lately or been doing in your life or putting in your heart that, that's just been really cool, really awesome, we want to hear that. We all draw strength from that. We draw, it builds our faith to hear the stories of uh, what God's doing in other people's lives. So we want to take that opportunity now. So I'm going to shut up. And it, whoever is here that would like to do that, like to share, um, please feel free. Bethany, yes. took like eight weeks off and I didn't have that much sick leave, yada, yada, yada. So I got docked like eight days worth of pay and I got my paycheck on Wednesday night. We were at Sean's parents' house and I opened up my email and I was like, oh, because they docked me like $1,700 and I was just like, ah. Um, so that was just a lot of money for us. And I was like, I told Miss Carol, I was like, we're going to come eat out of your freezers and we're just going to be over here all the time, yada, yada. Anyways, um, 12 hours later, like not even 12 hours, I get a text from Sean and he was like, your disability check came in. And I was like, oh, yay. You know, for those of you who don't know, you can, pregnancy is a disability. Um, so <laughs> my, my disability check came in and I was like, oh, great. You know, that didn't cover all of it, but that'll definitely help. And then I got another text message from him and he said, oh, and by the way, I filed our income taxes and we're getting so-and-so amount back. And y'all, it was like way more than what my actual like monthly check would have been like. And so while I was sitting there like, oh, thank goodness that February is the shortest month of the year and we'll only have to eat out of the fridge for, like I was just, you know, saying all this stuff like, there's no way we'll make it, you know, poor pitiful us. Um, God was like, I got you covered, you know, um, and he provided more than we would have had on a normal month. I mean, just stuff like that, y'all. If you aren't a tither, I just encourage you, encourage you to do it because if you bring your tithes to the storehouse like his um, word says, then, like Brandon says, you cannot outgive God. I was just talking um, to one of my friends the other day about, um, they said that she said that her and her husband just started, you know, a few months ago, just really diligently tithing, you know, what they were supposed to. And she was like, Bethany, it's crazy because we're tithing more, but we have more money than we ever had before. And it's not like a, oh, you know, dance around in your money thing. It's just that you're provided for when you do what you're supposed to with what he's given you. So that's my testimony. Yeah. Anybody else want to share this morning? Something that gets on your heart? Don, you want to share something? Just got to think of it and ask them. 
Amen. And, and I think what, what got me the most was one of the directors there finally asked me, what's the name of your church? Where are you located at? And he told me something that stuck with me. He said, man, you need to teach up at home. I'm like, what's the name of this private church That's y'all, folks. So, I, I mean, that's just me saying thank you and, and thank you for getting behind us when we do things. And there's going to be a lot more. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Don. All right. How about one more quick one? Anybody got one more quick one? Danya. Um, some of y'all know that Mark was prayed for, what was it, a month or two ago for his back. And um, we've, it wasn't an instant, miraculous, woohoo healing. But it was a process that God took him through. And he is pain-free, and that is such a testimony Amen. in itself, and in the process of that, the Lord has had us make some major decisions in our finances, and, you know, money can't buy health, mm. and um, we had to make a choice probably a month ago to decrease our finances about three-fourths of mm. an income. And um, step out in faith, and he changed his career to selling granite, which is a huge decision in this economy because who's going to buy granite in a <laughs> recession? <laughs> and um, but we knew that was what the Lord had told us to do. And um, in this last week, God has met our need. We continued to tithe and do what we knew what was right and the principles of, you know, what we've been brought up. And this last week, we were able to pay our second mortgage and also pay another bill and pay electricity. So I just want to say God's faithful. Amen. Thank you. God is good. I want to mention um, a couple of quick things to you. One is next Sunday, there's going to be what we're calling a quick connect. We're going to do these maybe every four to six weeks. But it's an opportunity if you're new to the church, maybe you haven't made many connections yet, you want to meet some folks that are, that are uh, attenders here. At 945, we're going to have coffee, donuts, some things like that that you can come in and enjoy and just get to meet some folks who go to church here. Um, you know, a lot of times we come in and we leave and, and maybe you aren't a part of a connect group yet, but we'll give you that opportunity to come in on Sunday morning, next Sunday, February 7th at 945. If you can come in, come a little early and, and meet and greet some folks about 1015, 1020, we'll wrap it up. You can come back in here and get ready for the worship service. Mentioning connect groups, we're still signing up for those. If you've never been in a small group, it is so important. Um, it's where I believe the most life change for you will happen. When you're sharing your heart and sharing the word of God with each other, walking through life together and sharing his word, I encourage you to be a part of one of these. It's a big part of what we do. We believe strongly in these. We try to keep things simple, but it's, this is something that's worth doing. So I want to encourage you to sign up for one of those if you're not a part of a small group. Um, I know some of you are in campus ministries and you're a part of small groups there. If you're not, I would encourage you to sign up and we'll be contacting you over the next week or so to be a part of one of these. Um, last thing is that uh, we have what we're calling a vision meeting on February 27th. That's the Saturday from 9 to 12. If you want to come and hear more about the vision and see if you want to partner with us in this vision that God's given us to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other, we want you to come to that meeting. And, and from 9 to 12, at 12 o'clock, we're going to be done. We're going to feed you. You can go home and get all the chores done that you need to get done. So come be a part of that, if you will. I said that was the last thing, but there is one thing I want you to pray about with us. Um, as you can tell, things are pretty full. Um, we've got a few empty seats, but not many. So I want you to be praying. We've been praying uh, last week or two just about whether we should do another service at some other time. Um, I want to ask you to be praying about that. Our, our heart is to be able to reach people for the kingdom of God. Um, as you know, people come into a full room like this and it can be uncomfortable and a little weird to have to sit scrunched up with somebody you don't know. So I ask you to be praying with us about that. If that's the direction that God would have us to go to start another service and, and what time we would do that, okay? Um, so will you do that with me? Will you agree to pray as, as uh, we make this decision and just pray that God would give us guidance and um, wisdom on how to do that? Amen? All right, let's get into the word. We've only got like an hour, hour and a half left, and we'll have to go. So I want to make full use of this hour and a half that we have left. Um, 
Zaxby's will be there. I promise it's not going anywhere. Um, Last week, we talked about the importance of having a vision for us individually. If you were here, you remember uh, us talking about that. And we said one of the reasons it's so important to have a vision for where God is taking you in life is because it guides, clarifies, and simplifies your life, right? It it gives you guidance on where you need to go. It, It clarifies things on the direction your life is heading. And it simplifies life, especially decision making, because once you have a vision of where God's going to take you, you have to make certain decisions in order to get to that point, right? In order to see that vision fulfilled, not making choices that are going to throw you off of the track that God would have you on to get you to the place that he wants you. We good? Everybody remember that? Okay. Usually you forget it by like lunchtime on Monday. Um, I do the same thing, but let's, there's a little refresher there so that we remember that, that the vision for us individually is extremely important. Now today, what I want to talk to you about is having a family vision or a relationship vision. Okay. Now, some of you here are single and you've never been in a major relationship. Some of you um, are single and you don't care anything about a major relationship at this point in your life. You're like, no, thanks. I don't need that drama in my life. Some of you are um, single and you're longing for this relationship. Um, Some of you are already in that relationship. Some of you are married and things are incredible, and you're like, we've got it figured out. You could probably give this message better than me. Some of you are married, and things are okay, and you're making it. And then some of you today, I know, are here, and your marriage is struggling. And in a room this large, with as many married people as we have, there's, there's always people here who are having a difficult time. Now, I say that to say this. I realize that the room is full of people who are in totally different places, Right? So today, I want to I encourage you that no matter where you are, I believe that what we talk about today will be of value to you. So don't say, well, I'm a college student. I don't have a family. It's 10 years before I'll even think about having kids. Don't check out on me, all right? Because one day, most of you in here will be married, hopefully once, and you will be um, in this marriage relationship. And I believe that the things we talk about today will help you, Okay. And so don't check out on me if that doesn't seem to apply to you. But I do want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you today out of Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's one of the first books in the Bible. Um, and I want to tell you kind of a little bit about where, this, where we're at. Moses, who has been leading the Israelites out of, out of Egypt, he's at a place where he is about to die. He's about to go be with God. He's about to um, go on and, and leave the Israelites with Joshua. Joshua was a, uh, a younger man who was going to lead these uh, Israelites into the promised land. Now, what I want you to see here is these are really like Moses' last words, like his last commands, his last encouragement, his last instructions to the Israelites before they go into the promised land. And right now I want to read to you Deuteronomy 11, 8 through 16 and 22 through 25. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today. So that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give them and their descendants. A land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. Where you planted your seed and irrigated it as by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and oil. I'll provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Listen, be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. In verse 22, if you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to, the Le- to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. 
And then verse 25, no man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you in the whole land wherever you go. Well, let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, I do pray that today we would get a vision for our family, for the relationships, God, that we have now, that we may have one day. God, I, I do pray, Father, that, that, that you would speak to us and it would guide us and clarify things for us, that it would, God, it would uh, simplify our decision-making. And God, that we could live lives that honor you and bless you, Father. God, I thank you for your heart for us, God, that you, um, you love us so much, God, that you did send your son to die for us. So I pray that no matter where we are today, God, whether we're single, not thinking about a relationship, single, longing and dying for a relationship, married and happy, unmarried, God, married and just things are okay, God, divorced, whatever we are today, I thank you, God, that your word is true, and I pray that it would speak life into us today. Give us hope. I thank you for the ministry of reconciliation, God, that Jesus came with. And so I thank you that you're able to reconcile our relationships, especially our relationship with you, Father. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you real quick. I want to tell you a little story because I think it'll help set up kind of where we are in, um, in, in the Word right now. But when I, how many of you played football in high school? A lot of people play football in high school. Is anybody here from Valdosta? Anybody from Valdosta? Got one? Anybody? All right. Well, when I was a freshman in high school, um, we had a really good football team. And I didn't really play much that year, but we went in the quarterfinals of the state playoffs down to play Valdosta. Now, this is going to tell you really like how old I am. It was like 1990, okay? We went, and I was a freshman in high school, and some of you are like, my gosh, I was born in 95, you know? And, and I realized I was old when people in the youth group that I used to lead were born after I graduated high school. And so... Um, we went down and we went to go play the mighty Valdosta Wildcats. And those of you who follow football at all, especially back then, man, they were good every year. I don't know how many state championships they won, but everybody feared the Valdosta Wildcats. And I remember going down there and, and they always posted our depth chart um, during the week. And, and it was like on um, Thursday, we'd go in there, we'd see. And so I'm just kind of casually walking by and I walk by and I actually see my name on the depth chart, but it wasn't like at the bottom where it normally was. I actually had a couple of positions that I was starting in against Valdosta. And I'm like, why God? I'm like, why, 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 why would you do this to me? How dare you let me start a game? Because I'm thinking this is against Valdosta. I'm a freshman. I weighed like 165 pounds soaking wet. And, and I was starting on two special teams. I was starting on the kickoff return and then on the kickoff team. And so we go down and we're going to play the Valdosta Wildcats. And we get down there, and I'm already nervous enough, right? I'm already freaking out. I'm like, I'm starting against Valdosta. Gosh, don't let me screw up. All these bigger guys are going to kill me if I mess up. And so we get out there, and we're stretching. And we always lined our guys up on like the 10, you know, 20, 30, 40, the 10-yard the, the increments on the, on the field, right? And we'd line up across there, and we always had the guys like, 10 shots, right? Oh, ready, 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 ready. You know, we'd do the, do the jumping jacks. And we'd stretch. And those of you who know, you know what I'm talking about. It's really silly. But we, but we did that. And so everybody's doing their stuff. Well, all of a sudden, we hear this rumbling. Sean was there. He, he probably remembers this. I think it scarred me more than Sean because Sean was a lot bigger than me. But I remember hearing this rumbling noise. And I'm like, well, it almost sounded like thunder. And I was like, what is that? And we turn around and like we literally kind of stopped stretching. And we turn around and look. And they're coming out of their locker room, and there was a little pathway that led to the field, and they had tin on top of this walkway. And they were coming through there, and they would beat the tin as they were walking, coming through there, out onto the field. And you're talking about putting the fear of God in somebody. I was scared silly. And they're beating on the tin, and they start coming out, and we're in our nice little rows like this. They start coming out, and you know how it looks when all, like, all the clowns start getting out of the little bitty car? That's what it looked like with them coming on the football field. I was like, they're not going to stop. And so they start coming out and they're coming out onto the field. And instead of lining up on the lines this way, they just circled the entire half of their field. And they're there and they're doing their stretches. And, and finally, we, you know, we, we start doing our stretches and I'm like, my goodness. And I mean, I'm, I'm like, don't know if I'm going to throw up or wet my pants. It was that bad. And because I was just so scared. And so then we go 
We finally get done stretching and we go into our locker room. And I know this was strategically done, but they put our locker room underneath their bleachers. And so we're in there and we're all huddled up. And, and, you know, I know my eyes had to be like this big because I'm like, I'm I'm dying. I'm trying to get right with God. And... (laughs) And so we're in there and there, um, we, we start doing our like personnel check. And what we would do is they call out every team, um, you know, every, uh, like offense, defense and kickoff return, kickoff team, all these, and there was always a captain of that team that would stand up and count the people just to make sure we all knew which teams we were supposed to be on. And so we're in there. Well, what they start doing above us is stomping their feet. They're up there stomping their feet on the bleachers and it's rattling and it's loud. And I mean, I'm just, I'm seriously about to get sick, right? And so we're in there and they call out the kickoff return team. And because I was the middle back, which the middle back actually had the chance that you might get the ball kicked to you, which I was already praying against, rebuking in Jesus' name, that that would not happen. And, and I'm, I'm the middle back right there. And so it was my job to stand up and count the team and make sure that we had everybody. And I went to stand up and evidently it was obvious to everybody because I felt like I almost fell. I was like almost passed out. And so everybody raised their hand. I didn't even count. I was like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I just made some noise. And I was like, got them and sat back down. <laughs> so I had no clue who was actually going to be out there. I was just that nervous. And so we go and, and um, we get out onto the field. And, and um, you know, there's just, it seemed like a, a, a gazillion people to me. And we're out there and I'm the, the middle back on the, the, the kickoff team. And I'm like, oh, I'm still praying. Like, God, don't let them kick it to me. Don't let them kick it. And I seriously, like, when the ball went over my head, I was like, thank God. And then I was like, oh, I got to block somebody. And so then I start running. And I remember to this day seeing number 44 coming at me. Don't know his name. Don't know anything about him. I know he was like three feet taller than me. And you couldn't go back and look at the program because they had so many people that they went from one to 99 and started over again. But... I went and I remember I was just like, all right, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. And so I just take off running and I I put my helmet right into his chest and I knocked him down. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, get some, you know, and, and not really, really. I was like, oh gosh, he's mad now. And so I tried to get off the field really quick, but like some of the seniors, Sean and them, some of the, the older guys were coming off. He was like, no way, Brent. I'm not going to tell you what they actually said because it wouldn't be good in church. But they were like, oh, and so then I'm feeling like 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But anyway, it was just a crazy story. We almost beat the mighty about Austin Wildcats. I think they beat us, I think by a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken, largely due to a pass interference play at the end of the game. If I'm, I'm, I'm believing, I'm actually recalling this better than Sean can remember it. Um, but actually due to a pass interference play that, that we made um, interfere with their receiver. And I won't tell you who did that, but his hair is red. He's really tall. Um, he's my brother-in-law, and his initials are Chad Wiggins. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up losing the game. It was kind of a bad call. But if you see him, tell him thanks for blowing that quarterfinal game. Um, so anyway... The moral of that story, the whole point of that story is this, to tell you all those feelings that I had, all that anxiety and fear and, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And it was all building up and it was just, oh, you know, I have to think about how multiplied that would have been for the Israelites at this point in their life. Think about this. They're on one side of the Jordan River. They're about to go into the other side of the Jordan. They had heard about all of these giant people that were in this land, right? And they're there and they're thinking, we can't go over there. You know, they had to be sick at their stomach. They had to be thinking, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to make it through this? How are we actually going to go over and defeat these people? That there, There's three times, there's ten times as many of them as there are us. How are we going to go over here and be able to defeat these people? And yet God's telling them, I've got this land full of milk and honey for you. I've got this place for you. It's so unbelievable. But you've got to go over there and take it. And I think about how they must have felt in comparison to how I felt when I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm going to throw up or wet my pants. And how they must have felt, knowing that they were taking their wives, their children, and all of them over into this place where they could very easily, looking at it in a a natural sense, be destroyed. They'd heard, literally heard tales that there were giants in the land. No telling what kind of rumors got circulated over those 38 years they're walking around in the desert. How big they must have been. And yet God's telling them, I want you to go over here. Now listen to this. God's telling the Israelites, the family of God, 
the people of God, there is something better for you. I have got something better for you than living in the land of Egypt, than wandering around in this desert. And I believe that if Jesus was here today, for many of us, married, unmarried, divorced, whatever you may be, God would be saying, I have something better for you. You're not living in the fullness of what I would have for you. I I would dare ask, how many of you would say that right now in your relationships, in your marriage, everything is hunky-dory? If you put your hand up, we're going to cut it off. Because you would be lying. None of us is, none of us is perfect. I was talking with somebody the other day and we were talking about Susan and I and our marriage. And and, and they were like, well, how's this? I was like, man, it's, it's okay, man. We're good. It's okay. And he looks at me and he says, is okay good enough? Is that what you want is okay? And I was like convicted by it. I was like, no. And God really began to put this stuff on my heart when we were going through the series on unfulfilled potential. And I began to think about my own potential, but then God put it on my heart to think about the potential of my marriage, the potential of my family, the potential of my relationships with my close friends. What's the potential there? And we said in that series, we didn't want to leave anything on the table that, that was potentially there in our lives. That when we go to be with Christ, when we go to be with God, we want to have fulfilled every single thing that God put us here to do. But what about our marriages? What about our families? Would that not fit as well? God has something bigger for us in our families. He wants to take us to that place that's unlike anything we've ever seen. He wants to use us as examples to the other people in the world of what family can be like, what marriage can be like, what raising children can be like. And I would dare say that every one of us in here today could stand to learn a little bit more about raising a family, about what it means to honor God in relationships, what it means to be one flesh, what it means to, with your wife or your husband, what it means to, to come into a place of, of living to the fullest potential in all of your relationships in your family. How many of you are like that, to fulfill the potential? All right, three, four, okay, good. So, yeah, there, there. Denise, Denise is like, amen, help this brother, you know. I want to read to you real quick, um, just to read it again, verses 9 and 10 out of chapter 11. It says, And so that you may live long in the land that, your Lord, that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you are entering to take over, listen, is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. He said, it's not like the land of Egypt. Listen, he's saying, you've never seen anything like this. And I would dare say that as Christians and as people in the world, we've probably never seen very many families that are living to the potential of what God would have for them. Would you agree? There is more that God would have for us. He says, listen, you haven't even seen this. And that's part of our problem is that we don't really have many good examples of what a Christian family looks like, a family that is living to the potential of what God has for it. And so I believe one thing that we've got to realize is that it actually does exist. There is something more than what we've seen. Even in the best marriage, the best family, there is, there's better, there's more that God would like to take us to. The other thing that that I want you to see in this, he says that it is a land flowing with milk and with honey. Now that is awesome to me when I think about my family because I think about how God wants to take us to a place where we're not just surviving off of what the world can provide, but God says, I'm gonna give you milk and I'm gonna give you honey. I'm gonna give you the sustenance of your family that will help you make it. I'm gonna give you the sustenance of the relationship to make it strong. And I'm also gonna give you that little something extra to just tip it over the top. That's good. You think about that, that's good. Don't you want that little something extra to to just take it right up there to the tip top of what it could be? Amen? That's something that God wants to do for us. But the problem is for many of us, we live in the land of Egypt. Now I want to describe to you what I believe a marriage, a family, a relationship that's in the land of Egypt that lives in the world would be like. One of them is this, that we simply exist together. We simply exist together, that that we may live under the same roof. We may share some things in common, 
But the problem is that we're really not engaged in anything. We just sort of exist together. Does that make sense? That, that there's not real interaction. There's not real communication. There's not really anything that, that, that's more than just, hey, we're here. And you know what? We get up and we do our thing tomorrow. And, you know, and, you know I believe this with all my heart, that if we'll get to a place where it's not just about existing, then we won't have to hide out at work instead of going home. Then we won't have to hide out in the shop and be like, gosh, I hope she don't come out here. Then we won't have to find hobbies that our wife hates. That we won't have to bury ourselves in the children so that we don't have to have anything to do with him. See, I believe there's something more than just existing and, and kind of being like people that just work and do their thing and we put our money together and we make it every month. There's more to marriage than that. God wants more for you than that. Okay? He doesn't want you just to exist. Another one is that we have children, and this is more for dads, but we have children under the roof, and, and we've, we've fathered these children, but we've yet to become a father. We've yet to really pour into them the way that God would have. And I'm not talking about, listen, we, we can play sports. I love going out there, and I love throwing the ball with my kids. I love to pour into them athletically and do all of these things. But are we pouring into them more then just keep your, short, your swing short, straight to the ball. You know, get your elbow up, son. Are we pouring more into them or are we just kind of getting by? Are we really being a father? Are we turning their hearts to God? Another one is this, that the mother's the spiritual leader of the home. How many times does that happen? That the mother is the one who says, get up, let's go to church. The mother's the one that says, come in here. We're going to read the Bible before we go to bed. Are we really stepping up to the plate, guys, and guys who one day have a family to lead our family, to lead our children closer to Christ? Are we pouring into their lives? Are we filling them up with the things that are going to matter in eternity and not just while they're on a high school baseball team or in a band or, or whatever it might be? Another one is this, a family that's living in this place of the world and living kind of like in, still in Egypt, hasn't crossed over to all that God wants it to be. Listen, the remote control, you got to change those batteries like every month, but the Bible's covered in dust. Come on. I mean, I, this is speaking to me too, so don't like get long face and be like, that's a jerk. But I mean, come on, how many times do we wear the remote out? How many times have you gotten mad at your wife or your girlfriend or whoever it is in your house because they lost your Bible? But man, you want to see a grown man throw a temper tantrum, you let the remote get stuck under the seat of the sofa. And you're going to have some people, get in here. You find that remote or I'm going to beat you. How many times does that happen? But you never see a guy go, all right, who put my Bible under the sofa? You never see that. And yet I believe that that is part of us living in this way of the world, living in this place where we haven't really discovered all that God would have for us. And as a result of that, our families really look no different than the families who don't even go to church. Is it amazing to you or does it surprise you that Christian families have the same rate of divorce as non-Christian families? And if you hear anything today, please don't think I'm slamming anybody. Listen, there have been times in my life when our family could have ended up just like any family, okay? We're all dysfunctional. If you're not dysfunctional, raise your hand and then excuse yourself on the way out. (laughs) We all have problems. We all have things. But Jesus came with a ministry of reconciliation, and he can put things back together. He can redeem things. But what we've got to realize is that in so many ways, we don't look any different than the families of the world. Our relationships to one another don't look any different than our, the relationships that non-Christians have with their friends. In fact, sometimes their relationships look better than ours do. And then we wonder why our children don't grow up any different than the children that aren't raised in church. Listen, if it's not real to you, it's not going to be real to them. If our relationship with Christ is not something that is evidence to them that they have seen, then it is not going to be real to them. The last one is this. Listen, this is, this is going to be hard for you to believe. But there is a place in marriage and in relationships where you can be nice to each other 
and you're not just looking for hanky-panky. Right? I mean, come on. I mean, how many times have we been in there? Guys, you decide today I will put up the dishes. Today I'm going to go and I'm going to bless my... And she walks in and the first thing she says, what do you want? This is, it's true. It's real. It happens. But listen, we can get to a place where our relationship is more than that. That, 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 that our sex is more than just, just like a, a one-night stand that happens in our own home. But there's actual real intimacy that takes place other than that. That it's not something that just happens so often. But there's real intimacy. There's real communication that takes place. And this is where God wants us to go to. And if talking about sex makes you uncomfortable in church, imagine me. I'm doing this with my mom and dad in the room and, <laughs> and my mother-in-law and my father. So it, if you think it's awkward, just put yourself in my shoes for a moment. <laughs> but this is just real stuff, right? It's just real stuff. And it's stuff that God wants to do something about. He wants to change it. He wants to take us to another level of living. He wants to take us to a place where, where we love to go home. Where we, we have that, that fire, that zeal in our family. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about the family that's, that's built up on the milk. That, that milk and honey place. One of them is this. There's strength in the family. You think about it, We always want our children to drink milk, right? What's it do? It makes them strong. It makes them strong. It makes their bones strong. It helps them to grow. And I believe that a family that is, is, is in the milk, that land of milk and honey, is a family that is strong, that is bound together by something that no man can separate. That even when crap comes your... I said it. I'm sorry. Even when stuff comes your way... I think my mother-in-law takes a little pad and check marks like how many times I say that. But even when stuff comes your way, even when it comes, you don't fall apart because you're strong. You have not only fed on the milk of the word, but you've eaten the meat and your body, you are mature and your family is strong and nothing separates that family because you're bound together, not only by Christ, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that is living in you and in your family. And when things come your way, listen, when the boat gets rocked, you just don't fall apart. You don't start pointing fingers and blaming other people because you know, come hell or high water, we're going to get through this. We're going to make it because we're on a foundation that is bigger than a spat or an argument or, or the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. We are on a foundation of Jesus Christ, and he's going to hold this thing together. You remember when the disciples were in the boat? The storm comes up out of nowhere. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Everybody's freaking out. They're going crazy. Water's flying everywhere. And Jesus stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves. See, if Jesus is in the boat, you got nothing to worry about. He is bigger than the wind and the waves and the things that could come your way. And families that are, that are in that land of milk and honey know that our security is not in a job. Our security is not in anything other than God himself. We're going to do our part. We're not just going to sit on the couch and eat Doritos and flip the television around and say, God, do this for me. We're going to do our part, but God is the one who will provide. Amen. And so it's this place where, where we find strength that's bigger than ours. Now I want to talk to you about the, the land of milk and the honey. Because the honey is that little something extra. How many of you like to have a little honey in your life? Some of you are like, I just like a girlfriend. That's a big, that's a big step for me. You know? but, but we'd all like to go to that little extra, that little something that just kind of tops it off, man. Where you're excited, you're like walking in the door, you're like, hey, you know, you're just, your, kids, your kids are loving God, they're living. And this is, this is what I want to talk to you about real quick. I believe that the land of honey is this, that mom and dad are spiritually involved with their children. There's something that, that is so important to mom and dad that if I die and my kids go to heaven, they are saved and sealed and they're going to heaven, then my life will have been worth it. When, when the children and the relationship to your spouse becomes so much more important than work, that they can take away your job, they can take away everything else, but you know that your, your significance is not found in how big your paycheck is. It's found in how much you love and you care for your kids and your wife. And so it's this place of honey. 
It's when mom and dad don't just tolerate one another, but they're excited about one another. It's when mom and dad have been together for 25 years and they're still in love with one another. There's still that zeal, that spark. There's still that something that makes it special. It takes it to another level. It's having children that want to serve God because, listen to this, they've seen the faithfulness of God in their mom and dad. See, there was this thing that happened when the Israelites went and they crossed the Red Sea. They crossed, and and it says that they went back and they put 12 memorial stones so that when they came back later, they could point to those stones and they could tell their children, listen, this is where God brought us across this river, and they're called memorial stones. And I love the thought of that. I love the the, the symbolism of that because I'm telling you, moms, dads, moms and dads-to-be, whoever you are, wherever you're at, grandchildren, whatever you're raising up right now because you are raising up something, even if it's just helping raise up the kids in this church, God wants to use your life as a memorial stone so that when these young children, your children, my children, whoever's children they are, can look at that and go, I know God is real because I've seen his faithfulness and I've seen the reality of him in them. How awesome would that be? Maybe, maybe to have somebody else's child that, that, that's, that's not even their kid. But how about if it was somebody else's child who one day could stand up and give a testimony and say, you know, if it hadn't been for so-and-so, I don't know that I'd be here today. But I saw the reality of God in his life, and I know he's real. And I can't walk away from him because that man, that woman, is a memorial stone to me. And every time I begin to doubt the reality of God, I go back and I look to that and I look to that moment and I say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real. And it becomes a memorial stone in their life. It's one of those things where where it just takes it to another level. You can probably fill in the blank for yourself. What is it that would take it to another level for you? in your marriage, and in your relationships, and in seeking for something more. What is it that would do that for you? Now, I want to talk real quick, and and we'll get out of here because it's, man, that hour and a half has flown by. But I want to talk to you real quick, just just briefly, on how we get there. Because here these people are, and and they've got to get to this other place. They've got to get across here to get all that God has for them. And we've talked a little bit about what it would look like. I mean, I would like to go there myself, would you not? I would like to be in that place of milk and honey with my wife and my children. I'd like to be in that place of milk and honey with the other people in this church where we're sustained, we're strong. We're there. And, and, but there's also that little something else. And so I want to tell you real quick that the things that I believe are crucial to being able to get you there. Number one is this. Realize that Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key. When you place him first in your life, your family, as a family, you get your priorities in line. As a single person, you get your priorities in line. And you base every decision you make off of those priorities. It begins to clarify, simplify, and guide your life in such a way like never before. You begin to realize that maybe we can't be out every night of the week if we want our kids to have time to read their Bible. And guys and girls and and moms and dads, listen, sometimes our children don't need to just have the Bible read to them. Sometimes it's time for them to see us read the Bible to ourselves. I got real convicted about that because I was always reading it to Dake. I was always reading it to Jackson. And I realized, you know what, this is great, but they need to see that daddy sets time aside to be in the word of God. And so we've got to begin to get to a place where we realize the key is Jesus. I was talking to a young lady in the church this week, um, and she was telling me about one of her classes. And she said that in one of her biology classes, she learned this thing that was called um, about a, a, a animals, and it was called the, the Keystone Species. Have you ever heard of the keystone species? Y'all are smarter than me. I'd never heard of it. But it says, what the theory says is that if you were to take this one animal out of an ecosystem, then the entire thing would basically crumble. That if this one animal basically disappeared, became extinct, just went on a vacation, whatever it might be, then everything else would kind of just dissolve. Because it all depends on that. When she said keystone species, the first thing that popped in my head was where the Bible talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. See, a cornerstone was something that's kind of become known as something else now. But originally, a cornerstone was the corner rock. It was the one corner that they would put in place 
as they were beginning to build a building. And the crucial thing about the cornerstone was it determined the direction and the integrity of the rest of that structure. See, I believe that we've got to get to a place where we realize that Jesus is that keystone for us, that he's the one that holds that archway together, that we realize that Jesus is the cornerstone for us. And if we'll begin building our lives based off of the cornerstone, then we'll always have the right direction and we'll always build a family in our lives in a place of integrity. Amen? Amen. See, for us, the keystone species is Snookies. If Snookies disappears, our family goes extinct. But Jesus is the real keystone species. He's that cornerstone that gives integrity. It gives direction to everything we do. It guides every choice we make as a family. Listen, just to be perfectly blunt, there may be times when little Johnny can't, if you've got a kid named Johnny, I am not singling you out, I promise. That was just the first name that popped in my head. But if you've got little Johnny, Johnny might not be able to do everything else that everybody else's kid does. There might be times when you have to do this and go, no, no. It's hard, but you just put your lips together, push out air, no. You have to say no to some things if you want to get to the destiny. See, you have this vision, this land of milk and honey that we want to get to, but we've got to make decisions that will allow us to get there. We've got to stay on that track that gets us to that place where God wants us to be. I want to read to you. This is, this is a little bit geared uh, to the, the younger crowd here, but, uh, but really to everybody. Look at 22.10 in Deuteronomy. Just flip over a couple of pages. I'm going to read one scripture to you. This is, for you young people, I, this is so important. And I know if you grew up in a youth group, you've probably heard things along this line. But I want to, I want to just reiterate it to you real quick says this in Deuteronomy 22.10. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. How many of you were in youth groups growing up and maybe you heard somebody tell you over and over again out of 2 Corinthians, you know, don't be unequally yoked. You heard that before, right? Well, this is where they got that from. This is where Paul, he, he had this in mind as he was pinning that. I know because I talked to him. No, I'm just kidding. But people believe that this is what he had in mind as he was pinning that, as he was writing it down. He, he had, had this in mind. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Now, why would you not want to do that? Well, one thing, it wouldn't be fair to the ox, would it? Here's this big strapping ox pulling this big thing, and he's got this little donkey over here to the side. And basically the ox would be dragging him along. And some of you women are sitting here thinking I'm married to an ox. No, you're probably married to a donkey. But see, when we come to Christ and we're living for Christ, we become like that ox. We become strong. We become people on a mission. But so many times we yoke ourselves to donkeys. They're stubborn. They want to go their own way. They don't want to do the right thing. And yet here we come and God tells us very clearly in Deuteronomy 22.10, do not yoke an ox with a donkey. Now let me tell you, I'm going to read this to you. I want to read this to you out of the King James Version because I think it makes more sense. It says, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. That's the King James Version. So that you get, get the gist of that thought that you don't want to put things that aren't like each other together. Because what ends up happening is that they don't pull the same way. One begins to carry a load that shouldn't be carried. It's, it's carrying more. And so many times we make decisions. Listen to me, people. We make decisions that end up putting us together with people that we're just dragging along. And for some of us, we wake up every morning. And our best thing is that we have to pray that maybe God would miraculously change that donkey to an ox. And I encourage you young people, don't. Don't make that decision that would cause you to spend the rest of your life in that. Make decisions that are going to yoke you with an ox. Put ox, an ox together. And that just doesn't even sound good either. But put an ox together. The second thing is this. It's about the obedience to his word. That we come to a place where we, we realize that, that it's all about being obedient to him. It says in, in Deuteronomy 11, seven, it says it seven times. Do not, or to be obedient, faithfully obey the commandments I'm giving you today. Psalm 1 says this, listen, if you'll delight in the Lord, if you'll delight in his law, then you will be like a tree planted by a river that is, is, is given uh, nourishment 
always. It says that you will produce fruit in its season. And it says that um, you'll never wither, that your leaf will be evergreen. So that what we're looking at, guys, is this. If we will delight in his law, we will keep his commandments. Then he says we will be like a tree planted by a river. And so that we have an awesome opportunity to realize that if we'll just be obedient to what God's calling us to do, if we'll realize that Jesus is the key, be obedient to what he's calling us to do, then we will be able to um, live in this land of milk and honey, being obedient to him. The last thing is this, and I'll read to you 22 through uh, 24 real quick. It says, if you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. Now, listen to this. It's telling us right here that if we will do these things, if we will put Christ first, put God first, if we'll come to a place where we'll be obedient to him, then we get to this place where we're able to be influencers rather than be influenced. He's saying, listen, I will extend your territory. I will broaden your territory. I will, I will make it in such a way so that, that, that you begin to influence others. You'll actually tackle nations that are stronger than you. And you'll begin to influence other people. Instead of our families being the ones who get influenced, we'll be the ones who do the influencing. We'll be the ones who are changing people rather than us being changed. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to give us the milk and he wants to give us the honey. He wants to strengthen us to a point when we're following after him, we are able to influence those around us, that our families aren't torn apart by the things of the world, but that we begin to change the world that's around us. Amen? Well, let's say we're going to pray.